Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, how diplomacy can unlock political potential. One of the challenges I think D.C. has is everybody knows about D.C. and everybody sees what happens in D.C. A lot of international investors don't really consider D.C. because they think immediately of the financial hub in New York, where they think about kind of the, the Californias, they think about the Texases, they, they hear a lot about these big markets. D.C., because we're divided between the district and between Virginia and Maryland, oftentimes don't have the coherent support that we need. And I think entrepreneurs have not really been given the signal that this is where you can really do things right. The opportunity to do business overseas can create thousands of jobs for an economy and many opportunities for business. In the current environment, sometimes people scratch their head and wonder, is this still a good time to do international business? Joshua Walker is the head of global strategic initiatives at the Eurasia Group. He's a diplomat and expert in international trade and business. And we're going to talk with him about what he's seen with respect to international opportunities for our regional economies. Joshua, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, you're... Diplomacy. You have a background in diplomacy. <laughs> I can't think of a current environment where the president of the United States seems less diplomatic when it comes to international relations. How business is functioning in this current environment? You know, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last year of the Trump administration is how to kind of discount the things we used to pay a lot of attention to. What I mean by that is words. The president of the United States used to whatever he said was very carefully calibrated. Our diplomats, State Department, everybody was carefully crafting that. Now the president goes directly to the people through Twitter. And so when you look at the first couple of tweets of this year, whether it's attacking Pakistan or North Korea, business leaders have to kind of tune that out a little bit because that's not relevant to them. And I think as a business leader, figuring out where you're going to invest, where you're going to have major opportunities around the world, you got to separate a little bit the political uh, situation here in Washington and globally with, with the fights that the president uh, picks here and there and try to figure out where can we actually get things done. So I understand that with respect to a business person, I wouldn't necessarily worry about a Twitter feed for determining where I saw economic opportunities. But how is it going for Americans overseas now? I know that, well, for example, I understand that, that you and the Eurasia Group are going to be doing a summit in, in Japan mm -hmm. earlier in, uh, later in the spring. When you go overseas and you talk with people in other countries, how are they feeling about Americans right now? You know, I mean, it's interesting. We've seen a pendulum swing. I used to work uh, under the Bush administration then the Obama administration. And no matter what the feeling towards individual presidents, obviously Bush was not very popular, especially in the parts of the world I was working in Turkey because of the war in Iraq. People seem to look at Obama as kind of being able to kind of solve all the ills of the world. And he kind of got all the hopes and dreams placed upon him. I've never seen an environment where people feel as sorry for Americans because of our political leaders. And the irony, of course, is people overseas saw Trump coming before most of us here in the Beltway ever did. And so as a result, they say, look, we get it. We've dealt with this before. Don't worry. This too will pass. You have strong institutions. Congress will never, never let them do some of the crazy things out there. Of course, on foreign policy, that's the one area that President of the United States has the ability to go to war and do other things on. So I think people overseas are very sympathetic. But also, on the other hand, our economy is doing really well right now. And so you have this real juxtaposition between geopolitical risk and some of the biggest risk we've ever seen. One of the reasons we're doing this geopolitical summit in Japan, which is one of the largest economies in the world, right on the front lines of some of the major issues of our day, whether it's North Korea missile crisis or whether it's China and kind of the, the tensions that will continue to rise between the U.S. Well, Japan's a really interesting opportunity because there you have a the demographics, rapidly aging population, a lot of need for technology, a lot of need for innovation, budget issues. 
would seem to me to be a really fertile market for the kind of things American companies can do. You're absolutely right. You know, I grew up in Japan, so I've been watching Japan for over 30 years now. And the interesting thing about Japan is they've never had a situation where they've had a leader for five years in a row, a, a political stability we haven't seen. There's a real optimism in Japan, and there's a real interest in investing. Their number one investment is the United States. And so as a result, for American businesses, there's probably no better partner in the world right now than the Japanese who have a lot of cash sitting in their banking system that would like to invest in something. And so if you have a great idea and you want to pitch somebody on it, the Japanese have never been a more fertile area. The only caveat I would say is uh, Japanese are not like other peoples in the world. They they really value longevity and relationships. You can't just walk up and show up with a great idea. you got to have an introduction. You have a right set of uh, connections. That's something I've been working closely with the people in this community, trying to help them figure out how to unlock that international potential. That makes sense to me. And I, I worked, my first job as an economist was working for a Japanese company. Mm. So you're, you're spot on. Um, if you ask somebody who you don't know well in Japan for direct answer, you won't get one. And, you, and in fact, you'll offend them. That's and, exactly right. But, I mean, but that's a great point. You're, because you've been in diplomacy, Americans, we go overseas, many of us just assume everybody's like us, which is the biggest mistake you can make, isn't it? Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, whether you're in Asia where you got to really value longevity and kind of, you know, in the U.S., we just think, well, I have the best, best idea. It doesn't matter how I present myself. I may look young. I may not have the, the gray hair of somebody else. In Asia, you got to have that gray hair. You've got to have that experience. And so I think, you know, there's a lot we can learn from each other. And if you try to go in and assume everybody else has the same set of understanding you do, you're going to fall on your face. And there, there are countries that have been out there that are longer and older than our entire, you know, you know, just even, you know, this country is only 200 something years old. Japan, you know, we're talking about three millennia. I mean, it's kind of insane how old and how new Americans are to the political scene. Perspective is important. There's no doubt about it. You can't just make it up. Other countries other than Japan that you see specific uh, opportunities for American businesses right now? Yeah, I really think Germany is a great place to look. You know, you read the headlines, all you see is about the politics and Angela Merkel and will she survive. The German economy is roaring. It's never been more of a kind of a European uh, powerhouse than right now. There's a lot of bad things you can say about the European Union in terms of regulation and all that. But actually, Germany is becoming this major hub, not just for kind of financial services and also kind of the tech side of things, but there's an interest from the German side in its longevity, its history with the United States. So I would look at Germany. Obviously, when I look at kind of the Middle East, it's a real, uh, it's very dangerous to invest in the Middle East right now because of all the political hotspots that are going on. But there are some kind of, you have to look at things at a more granular level. So why Turkey, for example, that I work on a lot is a dangerous place. You hear a lot about terrorist attacks. Istanbul has never been uh, kind of a better place for entrepreneurs to, to kind of launch things. Beirut and Lebanon, even though the country as a whole is in a, a you know, kind of dangerous position, these individual micro markets that we see, it's kind of looking beyond those headlines and being able to figure out where you think those trends are going to be heading. So what makes the, so are these markets where you, you go in to offer to sell something into the market? Or are these places where you go to sell expertise so they can export out of the market? What? Both, actually. And that the, huh. the ideal for a person in this area is how do I figure out both sides of that? Because if it's just my goods being sold to a particular country, right, if it's just exporting from here to there, there are a lot bigger markets out there, right, whether it's the Chinese or the Indian market, et cetera. Um, but when you're looking at ways in which I can both bring some type of expertise and commodity and really kind of have a, a good return on my investment, but then also I can then in turn help that market, there are a lot of government incentives that are out there from international markets. And there's also a lot of major international conglomerates that like the prestige of being associated with a successful American venture. And so there's, you know, the Japanese pay top dollar for that, as you well know. But there are other countries that are beginning to look at that and say, well, we'd love to get a base in the U.S. So uh, we'll work with you. And if you can help us, we'll, we'll use that as our base. It would seem to me then that the United States, particularly Washington, D.C., in this region, 
this could be a, a tremendous opportunity for us because it's a name brand. It's a place where things happen. Do you find that when you go off and you market? And should companies here be more aware of international opportunities as a result? You're absolutely right. I mean, one of the challenges I think DC has is everybody knows about DC and everybody sees what happens in DC. A lot of international investors don't really consider DC because they think immediately of the financial hub in New York, or they think about kind of the, the Californias, they think about the Texases, they, they hear a lot about these big markets. DC, because we're divided between the district and between Virginia and Maryland, oftentimes don't have the coherent support that we need that a place like Texas or California, I mean, they have entire offices that basically are ambassadors for those states. Um, we don't have that similar, uh, you know, prospect in this area. And I think entrepreneurs have not really been given the signal that this is where you can really do things right. When I talk to a lot of uh, international clients, they're very interested in what's going on in DC. They would love to have uh, one foot based out of DC. And while their international operations may be from their headquarters in their home country, they do have their global headquarters. A lot of the global offices of Japanese companies are based out of New York. They're actually moving to DC because they say, you know what, we might as well be right here where we can keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on. Geopolitical risk is growing. Therefore, I think DC is becoming a bigger and bigger hub for those types of things. Another example, my friends, of how and why invisibly big things happen here that have nothing to do with government and everything to do with Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Joshua, thanks for joining us. It was great insight today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on the show. Tweet us at at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>